It's funny in the preparation of messages and sermons and devotionals and all that, you you can always feel good about the content. I, I write everything out, so uh, you can feel good about the, the content, but that's only half of it. The other half is the delivery, being able to communicate it in the moment in a way that really honors God and, and has the kind of the right proportion of emotion. So that is something that as preachers, we never feel fully prepared for. You just step into it and just hope that God is going to be in it. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just hoping that God is going to show up and he's going to take this word, this content. He's going to bring it in a way that will affect your lives this morning. Well, I'm excited to uh, talk about this message. The title is God's Comfort in Our Suffering. And we'll be looking specifically at just the first seven verses of 2 Corinthians, the letter of Paul to the Corinthian church that we call 2 Corinthians. Now, if you're asking me why I'm not starting with 1 Corinthians, it's a good question. But I think I've already done 1 Corinthians twice in my sort of in my preaching career, but I've never gone through that I can remember. I don't think I've ever gone through 2 Corinthians, though it is one of my favorite New Testament books. But today we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 in this series. And we'll stay with this book for uh, quite a while. As you know, if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, I, I take my time through books of the Bible. I think it's good to do that. I think that there are so many things to be discovered if we would just slow down and really kind of go deep rather than wide. There's no, there's no rush. We don't have to get through 2 Corinthians by Easter. Uh, there, there's no rush to do that. We're just going to take our time and allow God to speak to us through this incredible book. Well, I'm going to just read through these verses and just make a couple comments here and there, and then we'll, we'll kind of circle around and, and draw some truths out. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, it starts with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, I just want to take a moment here and just say that apostle was the specific role that Paul played in the church. Uh, he was probably the, the greatest Christian who ever lived, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Apostle essentially means one sent on a mission or what we would call today, what we just kind of talked about, a missionary. Paul was a missionary. He also referred to himself as an elder. Sometimes he referred to himself as just the servant of the Lord or the servant of Jesus. The important aspect here is this phrase, by the will of God. What does that mean? It's not just a filler Phrase. Paul was making it clear that he was not a self-appointed apostle. He was not merely credentialed by an organization or by a denomination to be an apostle. God himself commissioned him. God himself appointed, assigned him to do the work that he was to do. God appointed him to spread the gospel all over the known world to both Jews and Gentiles. 
So Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And if you're wondering who Timothy is, he was a younger minister of the gospel. Uh, Paul sort of mentored him. You could call him a son in the faith. Um, They served together. The text continues and says, To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to just kind of realize that this letter did not go out just to a church. When we think about like the church in Corinth, in our minds, we usually, because we're, you know, we're here in America, we may, maybe think of like, a, uh, well, it's a big city, about 80,000 people. So maybe there was, you know, a, a church of 300 or 500 and they gathered together in a big building somewhere. But it, it wasn't really like that uh, because in the first century, churches mostly met in houses and maybe some of those houses had great rooms, but ch- a church maybe an average church size was maybe 20 or 30 or maybe 40 if they packed them in. So, you know, when it grew too big, they would split up and then start another one. And so it's possible that this letter of 2 Corinthians went out to dozens, maybe even hundreds of different small churches scattered all throughout what is today uh, Greece. I just think that's interesting. I don't think it'll change your life, but I think it's interesting. And then he gets to the main text we're going to look at, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is not shaken, is unshaken. For we know, he's kind of, the context is there, the people of God in, the, in Corinth and in the surrounding area are going through trials and tribulations and afflictions. And as Paul kind of looks out at them, he's saying, my hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now, we've all had our share of suffering. I can only imagine the collective suffering even in this room, in this moment. It's part of the human experience to suffer. No one is exempt. No one can hide from it. Suffering comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There's physical and emotional and social and financial mental, spiritual suffering. Our bones ache. Our teeth rot. Our organs fail. Our hearing fades. Our houses get damaged. In storms, we get in accidents. We get poked in the eye playing basketball, as one of our uh, dear young men 
that happened to him a few, um, I guess, a, a couple months ago, and it was kind of a serious thing. But we end up in the hospital with kidney stones, as I did last year in the ER three times, or my wife having an emergency gallbladder surgery attack thing that went on, or the gasket blows on your work vehicle. You know who I'm talking about. We lose a loved one. Some of you know uh, Greg Strockoff, who attended this church for years, who passed away in, in just the last week. And his uh, daughter, Christina, who was um, part of our City Love team and was a RISD student, faithful member of this church for many, many years, grieving. But we lose jobs. We lose important things. There are the tiny afflictions like hangnails and canker sores and allergies and skin issues and back pain. We are hurt and even betrayed by people. We are robbed at times, scammed. We suffer anxiety, depression. We carry guilt from the sins of our youth or from the sins of yesterday. We deal with strained relationships within our families. We're broken from years of abuse, lonely. We struggle to control negative emotions. We are just exhausted at times. I could keep going on and on and on. This is the human experience. We all suffer in diverse ways. The thing about suffering is that we don't like it. I think most of us, I would say, don't like it. We want to avoid it if possible, or at least minimize it. When things are going well, I mean, maybe not everyone does this, but I, I think I do this. We tend to be in denial about suffering. We just don't want to, you know, think about it. We want to kind of just enjoy the, the season of not suffering that, that, that is upon us. And we kind of hide in our bubble of ease as long as we can. But eventually the bubble bursts. Everyone has to respond to human suffering. Some try to be indifferent about it. They play it down. They try not to think about it. Some live in constant fear of it. Some are really depressed that this is planet Earth and it is so filled with pain and heartache. Some are just angry about it and seem bent on figuring out who to blame every time there's suffering. Many of us have a mix of these, but no one is oblivious to suffering. From day one, right, out of the womb, it is upon us with hunger. And I mean, some babies come out of the womb screaming, like my youngest daughter, screaming. But it starts from the beginning, day one. Stomach aches and diaper rashes and conflicts in the home and all the, the, the needs and, and afflictions that even infants experience. The problem with suffering is no one has a clear answer about why it happens. 
Now, we can give theological answers. I understand, and we could talk about this on another day, but, you know, we say things like, well, you know, they're suffering in the world because of the fall, right? The fall of man. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and that sin kind of opened up the floodgates of all kinds of uh, suffering in the world. Or we can say that suffering is a, is a kind of divine test for us. And there's some truth in that. But you know what? When it hits home personally, these general explanations just aren't that helpful. We wonder, is the affliction from Satan? Is the affliction from God? Is it the consequence of the sins of other people, of the sins of society? Is my suffering the consequence of my own sin in some way? We start asking these questions. And listen, nobody can adequately answer these questions. The why of suffering is a mystery. And the perplexing question of why, listen, was asked by many prophets and psalmists and individuals in the Bible. I'll just give you a couple. Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly, idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Or David in Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In other words, like, what is going on? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Or Job takes it another step further. In chapter 10, verse 18, why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. In other words, you know, if I was going to go through all this, why did you even make me? These are deep questions. Why? And Job was full of questions and God really, in the long book of Job, really didn't answer most of Job's questions. We might think that humans make too much of suffering. You know, maybe we give it too much attention. You know, it's the theme of so many books and songs and um, movies. It has driven much art through the ages. And it's a major theme, really, in every single religion. Every religion tries to explain or, or you know, kind of give some sort of explanation for human suffering. You know, why are we so obsessed with suffering? Well, here, here's why. It's because we know what it can do to the human spirit. Suffering can cause despair debilitating fears. It can cause people to lose heart, to lose all motivation. It can deplete joy. It can be so tormenting that it can lead to suicide. It can break a person's confidence. 
Suffering can destroy a career. It can destroy a marriage, a family. It can bring a man to financial ruin, to homelessness. We know what suffering can do. It can take a sweet person and turn them vile and bitter. Because suffering always changes people for better or for worse. It cannot be avoided, and we know the potential negative effect it can have on us and those we love. So it's hard not to be deeply concerned about it as humans. Now, we all eventually realize that no one can fully explain why a suffering happens, and no one can hide from it. So you kind of come to the place where you realize we just have to cope with the sufferings of life as they come. We have to find a way to respond to them. They will either crush us or they will beautify us. They will make us cranky and miserable and bitter people or they will produce a peace that passes understanding. Let me say this. How we respond to trials is perhaps the most important thing about us that determines the kind of people we become. You know, because trials can cause despair. They can lead to indulging in sin. Suffering can cause people to withdraw, to drop out of church, to even lose faith. Or trials can produce character and hope, the fullness of love, Trials can bring fruitfulness. Trials can bring depth in God, intimacy with God. Now, trials do not have any power in and of themselves to control which destiny we arrive at. That choice is ours. Satan doesn't have the power to come upon us with trials and just cause us to be miserable and bitter, hardened. And listen, God will not force us to be victorious. It's our choice in trials to either shrink away from God or to draw near. You know, we can go the way of griping and self-pity or we can humble ourselves in the midst of our afflictions and trust in God. The floods will come. Our job is to cling to Christ, to hold on tightly to him, to trust in him always. All right, so here, that's kind of my long intro. Here are the three things that I believe these few verses are making clear for us about suffering. Three things. The first is this. Suffering is a reality. And Paul says it right in the text. He says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. By we, he's referring to we Christians. But it could even apply to just we human beings. In every single generation, afflictions will come. That's what Paul is saying here. No one is exempt from difficulties. 
Jesus promised, in the world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Peter put it this way, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which is to come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christians suffer. They get ill. They die. Suffering is part of being human. Now, sometimes God alleviates suffering, right? There are interventions, but not always. And I would say this, no honest theologian can explain why God seems to intervene sometimes and not at other times. There is a mystery in, in that. Christians suffer pain in their bodies. They suffer the full range of mental illnesses. I mean, think of the Christians who were imprisoned in the first century, or really in the last 2,000 years for the faith, or Christians who were beaten, Christians who were literally crucified, just like Jesus. Christians who were marginalized or economically afflicted because of the faith. I think this is important. Because in recent decades, especially in America, some really bad theology has been promoted amongst the churches that says that God only wants to bring happiness and blessings upon us. That it's always God's will for us to be healed. He wants to make us wealthy and healthy. And certain preachers latch on to certain promises in the Bible, but they disregard, listen, they disregard the paradox that God allows both blessing and suffering as part of the human, part of the Christian experience. This seems so obvious to me because Christ himself suffered so immensely, didn't he? I mean, aren't we called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? I mean, he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was flogged. He was betrayed. He was attacked. He was hated without reason. He was ultimately hung on a cross and crucified, publicly humiliated. That's the one we're following, that we follow in his footsteps. It seems pretty obvious that we should expect some measure of suffering in the Christian life. So let's be clear that God tells us that we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. I think it's important because if we fail to understand this, you know what happens to people who think that everything's just going to be made wonderful by God and life is going to be great because now that I'm a Christian, everything's just going to fall into place and only blessings and good things are going to come my way. Well, life happens. And 
what happens is a person's life does not fit their theology. And so they begin to crumble and they begin to fall apart and they become shipwrecked in the faith. It really kind of in their bad theology. This is why theology is important. It's important to understand the truth, really understand the full extent of scripture. Even though that's not what we want to hear. I mean, this is what the false prophets were all about in the Old Testament, especially, and in the New Testament too, but especially the Old Testament. They were always giving false prophecies of like, you will be, you know, it will go well for you and nothing bad will happen and blessings are going to come your way. These were the false prophets that would give these things. And then the real prophets would come along and say, actually, no, uh, judgment is coming and, and the bottom's going to fall out soon. Okay, okay, we don't want to hear that. You know, nobody wanted to hear they killed the prophets. Nobody wanted to hear the, the, the prophet's message of, you know, gloom and doom and destruction is coming. They wanted to hear the smooth, exciting, fun, good news of the fake prophets. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the scriptures are filled with this. But the problem with the false prophets and the message of the false prophets, prophets is it doesn't work. Eventually it falls apart. So may we let God put real sound theology into us. So the second thing I see in these verses about suffering is this. Suffering provides opportunity to experience divine comfort. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. As we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, what does Paul mean by comfort? The word comfort, to, uh, I don't know, it kind of conjures up images of pillows and blankets or we think about comfort food or we think about a comf comfortable lifestyle where you know we just sort of have everything we need and more. But this is not really what Paul had in mind when he used this word comfort. Divine comfort includes spiritual strengthening. It is God supplying what we need to get through even in the most difficult times. It is the impartation of peace, the nearness of God. It is a word from God, straight to the heart in your darkest hour. Sometimes God comforts us by just manifesting himself and just speaking to our heart and saying, I am with you. It comes in many different shapes and it especially comes in very personal ways. It's a kind of carefully crafted personal blessing that comes to us from God in our time of affliction. So Paul is saying that God will comfort us in affliction. In fact, when afflictions are abundant, God will match them with abundant comfort. What God is saying is that there are treasures to be found in every valley. Every affliction has something beautiful and meaningful in it. There are riches that can only be mined in the valley of affliction. 
Here's a picture of what God can do in a time of affliction. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. And then he goes on to say, you are precious in my eyes and honored. I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, I don't think that we need to be excited about afflictions, you know, because it could bring comfort. I think that's, that would be a little crazy. Afflictions are unpleasant, grievous. It's okay to try to avoid them or when they come to try to get rid of them. Even Paul did that, right? He prayed over and over and over again that the, the thorn in his flesh would be removed. Jesus even prayed that the cup would be removed if at all possible, take this cup from me, Father, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, David, the psalmist, the prophets cried out to be delivered from things. That's okay. That's human to do that. But suffering can bring about good. That's why David in Psalm 119 said, it is good good for me to be afflicted. Afflictions provide opportunity to experience the comfort that comes from God. It can make God real. There are certain aspects of our fellowship with God that only come as we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. I've been a follower of Jesus almost 35 years. And like many of you, I have my share of afflictions that I could tell you about that you don't want to hear about because you have your own things to, to deal with. But here's what, what, what I can say. Despite the severity and the longevity at times and confusion of some of the trials I've experienced through the years, I would not trade them for anything. I'm in a strange way glad that I experienced them. Now, do, does that mean I want more afflictions in the future? No, I, I, I'm not at that place. Not really, but it's clear to me that the most precious encounters I've had with Christ, the most dramatic revelations of the glory of God have come in my worst times of affliction. I would say afflictions have been the primary instrument that God has used to shape my life. So it's hard for me to call afflictions good, but they definitely have brought about much good in my life. The kind of good that is lasting, eternal, and weighty. All right, here's the third and final thing these verses reveal about suffering. The experience of God's comfort in our suffering enables us to comfort others in their suffering. 
He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Key words here. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves were comforted by God. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. You see the connection. Paul says something in these verses that is really interesting and positive about afflictions. When we trust in our trust God in our suffering as Christians, it can somehow have this mysterious effect on people around us. Somehow the thing that we suffer becomes the thing we can use to help other people. Turns into a blessing for others. Now, Paul doesn't, at least in this text, he doesn't go into like, why is this so, right? Why? He doesn't explain why this happens exactly. But I think, I think we have an idea, right? I mean, there's something about suffering a particular thing that enables or empowers us to understand, empathize, and help other human beings. If you've suffered a miscarriage, you can comfort those who have suffered a miscarriage. If you've been homeless, you can comfort those who are homeless. If you've been abused, you can comfort those who have been abused. If you've suffered anxiety or debilitating depression and have found comfort in God, then you can comfort others who suffer in those ways. If you've suffered grief over a child who has turned away from God, you can comfort others who are suffering and carrying that burden. If you've lost a loved one and have been comforted by God, you can comfort those who are grieving in a special way. I was watching a movie the other day about a person caught in addiction, and she didn't know if she'd ever overcome. She was in despair. And I understand that, that feeling. I lived that as a young adult. I understand the utter despair of genuinely wondering if you are ever going to get out of this thing alive. And it seemed like every single day, my chances of overcoming my addiction were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I understand that. And so those who are in the despair of addiction, I can, I can empathize with that. I've been there and I've been delivered. But I could go on. I've had bouts of anxiety and depression throughout my life, probably since puberty. I've been through the dark night of the soul. I've been hurt and rejected, bullied as a child. I've been paralyzed by fears in the night. I know what it's like to be socially broken as a youth. I've experienced the crushing weight of guilt and shame. All these things, as unpleasant as they have been, 
enable me to reach people, to minister more effectively. Somehow God uses all of our pain and the, the divine comfort that we find in our pain to bring hope to others. Again, I am not saying bring on the afflictions, Lord, because they're good. I am, I'm not, I haven't arrived in that place. I mean, it seems like the Apostle Paul was a little further, like rejoice in sufferings. And, you know, I delight in sufferings and persecution like, because when I'm weak, then I'm, I'm strong in God and I find the, I'm not quite there yet. Like I still want to avoid any kind of affliction. And when, when affliction comes, I want to get out of it as quick as I can. So maybe you can judge me for that, but I'm, I'm, I'm still, I don't like to suffer. But I do see that it brings about good. Suffering is a reality for all of us. We can't avoid it. But we can hold on tightly to God through our afflictions. And he will produce something good and lasting. Not a drop of our suffering will be wasted. God will use every bit of it to shape us, to reveal himself, to make our ministry to others more fruitful. He will be with us in it and turn it into something of eternal value. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that's all I got. But I do want to give you a little homework assignment if you're open to it. We're going to uh, respond this morning too with a, a song or two. Abby's going to come back up. You can make your way up. But this is kind of going back. Hopefully everybody's heard of this band called U2. Now it's like we grew up on, you know, in the 80s and whatever. I guess it was a long time ago, early 80s when U2 kind of came on the scene. But I think one of their early albums called War, I think it was their third album, there's a song on that album called Drowning Man. And if you want a homework assignment, listen to that song. It's four minutes long. Put on some headphones. Find a quiet place and just let it wash over you. It's kind of the voice of the Lord God speaking. And there's You'll, you'll, you'll catch some uh, imagery from Isaiah chapter 40. And there's one phrase in there that says, hold on tightly. And it's just the voice of the Lord saying, hold on in the midst of your storm. This will pass. This love lasts forever. But that's your homework assignment. We'll see how many. Don't come back next week unless you do your homework. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully you have Spotify or figure it out or Apple Music or something like that. But let's, uh, let's stand together. Let's cry out to the Lord. And if for those who are in troubles and afflictions right now, let's draw near to him right now. And let's just reach out and hold on tightly and say, God, could you manifest your divine comfort in my life today? 
or in, in this season. Let's draw near to God in our trouble and not shrink back. Amen. All right, thanks, Abby. Take us away. Mm-hmm.